welcome to the Taney Love Church Podcast. Our desire is to gather, train, and send those who are called to the kingdom. We hope this message inspires, uplifts, and equips you to fulfill the call that God has placed in your life. Thanks again. God bless. it's okay to take your time sometimes. Nancy, would you turn me down just a little bit? Because I probably might get a little loud this morning. It's okay to take your time sometimes because you make room for the Holy Spirit. And I have learned in uh, the time that I've done this and been in ministry that he is far better at ministry than I am. And so if we'd make room for him, He'd be able to minister and touch people. <clears throat> and honestly, if we just ended service today, that'd be worth you guys coming out. It'd be worth combing your hair and getting ready and coming out this morning because we met with the Lord this morning. Amen? Would you guys hook with me with the rest of service? I have stuff in my heart I want to share. Um, but the edification is, is greatly affected by those who hear it. You know, like if you want... To hear from the Lord this morning and not Micah, which all of your hands should go way up. I might tell you a couple good dad jokes and I might be able to tell you how to, you know, buck hay and how to change a tire and change oil. I have some knowledge. When it comes to the things of the Lord, you want to hear from Him, not from me. Amen? So would you guys reach your hands out this way and we're going to pray and believe. Father, all of us together agree on the rest of this service. We ask you to have your way in this place. Help my, my tongue to be that of a tongue of a ready rider, Father. Give me the exact words to say in the exact way to say it, Father. I ask you for utterance in these next moments as I share from your heart in this message that you have for us today, Father. I ask you for open ears and open hearts. We come against the enemy to try to cause distraction, to try to cause confusion, Father, that these words would pierce the soul, that we would grow and we would leave this place different than we came in today. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Kids, you guys can go ahead and be dismissed. Praise the Lord. Normally we would do, uh, we would do like, we would talk about offering and our projects and stuff, but I want to do that at the end of service, Nancy, okay? <clears throat> I have so many notes. <laughs> like I have, I don't know if you can see this. There's just, there's a whole lot that I've got to go through today. And, uh, I don't plan on getting through all of this, uh, so I, I, like I said, we're just going to believe the Lord uh, to speak this morning. So if you haven't been with us, we've been talking about uh, living a Spirit-led life, living by the Spirit versus living by the flesh. Uh, I believe this is our third service we did on this. I felt impressed to talk about this a few weeks back. I didn't plan on like starting a series or trying to do something but I soon realized as I began to get into this that we had more. And this week as I was studying, I like tr- almost tripled my notes of what I had before. Um, and I'm in no hurry this morning. I'm not trying to cram all of this down our throats. Uh, I think these things take time for us to learn. Um, and so I just, I just, I'm just going to be patient and see what the Lord would have us talk about this morning and where he gets us. Um, But I want to go to our opening text here, one of our first two verses. The first one is in Romans 8. Um, Just start in Romans 8. I'm not sure where we're going to start here. There's a few verses here I want to cover. Uh, 
Okay. Thank you, Lord. So here, here's what I want to try to convey as simply as possible to you. There are two modes of operation for human beings. I mean, there's lots of different avenues and lots of different things that we can do, but there's pretty much two ways if we look at Scripture that we can live. Okay? Living by the flesh or living by the Spirit. Okay? Now, I know that sometimes the, the water gets a little bit muddied on defining what that is. And so this morning I want to try to define those things for us. We'll see how far we get. Before Jesus' time, in order for man to be righteous, he had to live according to the law. Does anyone know how many laws there were? It started off with 10. So 10 is not a wrong answer, but there was more. Do you know how many ended up? 613. So the Ten Commandments, if you read Leviticus, you read Deuteronomy, the Ten Commandments was split up and, and made into 613 laws. It was the Levitical law. If you wanted to be righteous, you had to live according to this law. Now, something I want to point out to you, this law is what people would refer to as the Old Testament. Did you know that the disciples never referred to it as the Old Testament. They never called it the Old Testament. That's man's way of defining covenant. The word old is the wrong word we should use. Because if something's old, what do you do with it? Replace it, throw it away. Unless it's people, right, Sue? We don't get rid of old people. But... We, if it's old, if it's decrepit, if it's not working, we just get rid of it or get a new one, right? So the word old sometimes adds a context of done away with, okay? That is the wrong attitude to have towards what we call the Old Testament. The, the disciples simply referred it to as the law. That's what they called it, as in like the thing that we do. So if you look in the Old Testament, in order for us to be righteous in the eyes of God, we had to live according to the Levitical law. Well, I say we. It wasn't really us, unless you're Jewish in this room. It was the Jews. Now, if you were Gentiles, you were kind of out of luck, pretty much. Um, they had to live by the Levitical law, and if they messed up, they had to make atonement for that. They had several different type of sacrifices from grain to animal to birds to oils to beast. How it was cut, how it was displayed. You had to sometimes you had to leave the city. You had to go do ceremonial washing. Not to be too graphic in here, but if women, if it was your time of the month, you were considered automatically unclean. You had to like leave the city. You had to atone for that. And it wasn't even your fault. You didn't even do anything, right? That was the curse that came when Adam sinned. But what happened was, is people did, to the best of their ability, tried to live righteous, but they, could, they couldn't. Very few people in the Old Testament were called righteous. Very few. There was some, but very few. And so what I want to start here is I want to start in Romans, because Paul is talking about the, the dichotomy of living by the old versus living by the new covenant. 
And it's important for us to know as believers what was in the old covenant and what is in the new covenant. Why? Because some things stayed the same and some things changed. And it's important for you to know which ones are which. One of the primary things that changed is wherein your righteousness sets. Does that make sense? Where the responsibility of your righteousness sets. Before it was on your ability to live righteously. Now you are only righteous by what Jesus Christ did. It's the only way and praise God for it. I should have got a whole host of amens there. There we go. So I want to start here in Romans 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. There's about 10 words here and they're pretty powerful, okay? The word condemnation means judgment unto death, okay? So the word, we talked about this last week, the word judgment is not a negative term. You can have a positive judgment. You can have a, you can have a judgment in your favor. The judge says, not guilty of manslaughter. That's a pretty good judgment as long as you didn't manslaughter the guy. That, anyways, so you can have a positive judgment and you can have a negative judgment. So the word condemnation is judgment unto death because the wages of sin is what? Very good. There is therefore now no condemnation for everyone. Yeah, we're going to do a little participation this morning. It's okay. There is no condemnation for everyone. No. For who? Those who are in Jesus Christ. Okay? For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now I realize that this reads kind of different, and, and the way that you read this almost makes it look like the law was not able to do something, but you have to understand when this was written in Greek, Greek reads differently than it does in English. If you read this out the way it was written, it would be flesh was too weak to uphold the law. That's how this should read. It's not that the law wasn't strong enough. It's that the flesh was too weak. Does that make sense? None of you know what I'm talking about? You've never had to deal, you've never had to deal with your flesh, Ben, have you? Never. You've never really dealt with fleshly things ever. Ever, ever, never, ever, ever, never, ever, ever. Right? God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin to the flesh. Jesus became sin. He took all of what we deserve because the wage of sin is death and he gave us what he deserved because he lived on this earth as a man in righteousness, fulfilling the law. So he took what he took his righteous judgment and gave it to us and he took our condemnation, our judgment unto death. Does that make sense? Verse 4. In order that the righteous excuse me, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to what? So here's a big part for you. You should highlight this. If we begin to talk about what Jesus Christ did for us, it, it, you begin to get this revelation of how amazing what he did. You begin, you, you, how, what, how, excuse me, 
how amazing what he did is, and you begin to fall in love with Jesus, especially when you begin to have personal experiences. But I want to point something out to you, and it's the end of verse 4. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What I'm going to say to you is this. The access to the righteousness that Jesus gave to us is only available in one place. It's not available to you in the flesh. It's available to you in the Spirit. This is why people abuse grace. They say, well, Jesus died on the cross for my sin, and he gave us grace, so if we're under grace, we're not under the law. Right, but where does grace lie? Very good. We are called to not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The whole first part of this chapter, up until verse 4 here, he's saying this is what God did, this is what Jesus did. He made you righteous so that you wouldn't have to be that. The righteous requirement of the law was fulfilled, but only for those who live in the Spirit, not in the flesh. So we are called to put down our flesh and to pick up the Spirit. Does that make sense? Continue on to verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is what? To set the mind on the flesh is what? Do you want to die? And understand this word death means Con, judgment, con, it means, excuse me, uh, judgment unto death. Not like you physically die. This is like damnation. This word death isn't just like you leave this earthly body. This is like death separate from God. You understand? We have to read this word as it was written. Okay, I feel, okay. It's not just saying you'll cease to exist on this earth. It's saying you'll be damned to hell. That's what this death means. This isn't just a, we leave this earth and I get to go spend time with Jesus. No, this is death unto damnation. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death and damnation to hell. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. We have to read the word correctly. Because if you just read this haphazardly, you both ends end up in heaven. You see that? You could read, oh, I would die, but I'm born again, so it's fine. No, rightly divide the word. He's, he's, he's painting a very stout contrast between living by the flesh and living by the spirit. Now, I'm not a hell and damnation preacher. I don't only talk about that, but if it's in the word, we should talk about it, right? Jesus is saying, I gave you carte blanche access. Everything that I have access to, you have access to. But it's not where you want it to be. It's in here, in the specific place. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and downtrodden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, say his yoke, take his yoke upon you. Then and only then will he give you rest for your what? Souls. How can you have rest for your soul knowing that you have eternity in heaven? Your soul doesn't rest if it's not sure where it's going to go. And then he says, take my yoke upon you for it's easy. He says, my burden is light. 
We have to understand the contrast of living by the flesh versus living by the spirit. Living by the flesh doesn't lead to natural death only. It leads to spiritual death. Do you understand? Is that, is that driving it enough home? It's not, it's not, I just, I want to be clear on this. It's not just a matter of my earthly body dies and I still get to spend eternity with heaven. I'm not, I'm not here preaching to you that you can lose your salvation. That's not what I'm saying. The only way to lose your salvation is for you to curse God and to purposely walk away from him, according to scripture. But what I'm saying is, is Paul is painting a picture of how drastically apart these two things are. One is death and damnation and hell for eternity. The other one is life and peace for eternity. That's, that's the two opposite ends. There's no middle ground here. That's what I'm trying to convey. And one is living by the Spirit, and one is living by the flesh. Now, here is where grace comes in. Today, now, maybe you can say this, 100% of the time, can you raise your hand and say, I always live by the Spirit? Can anyone raise their hand? No. This is where grace comes in. It doesn't give us occasion to sin, but it stands in the gap for us as we endeavor to walk closer and closer with Jesus. That's what Jesus Christ did. He said, I'm going to die for you to have all of these things. And if you choose to endeavor day after day to wake up and live by the Spirit, my grace will cover the little stuff in between in your pursuit for righteousness. In your pursuit for relationship is how I should say that, not righteousness. That's what grace is for. Grace isn't for you to go... Well, I'm going to go, I'm going to go sleep around with this girl. I know Jesus loves me and, and I love her. I, excuse me. I know Jesus loves me and I love Jesus and him and I have an understanding. That's not. Listen, as we grow closer to Jesus, he begins to bring convictions into our heart. There are people who are new believers who still smoke and drink. And the last thing any of us should do is judge them. And if you're in this room and you still smoke or drink, I'm not judging you either. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. However, there should be a a walk with the Lord where he begins to get rid of the things that don't bring him glory and bring you into the things that do. That's what he says in John. He said, you are the vine and I'm the branch. If you abide in me, I'll abide in you. I'll take the parts of your life that don't bear fruit and I'll cut them off and throw them into the fire. And then I'll take the parts of your life that are beneficial, that do bear fruit, and I will prune them so that they bear much fruit. He's saying, if you stay plugged in with me, if you just hang out with me, I'll make your life better. Now, it might be a little bit painful. I don't know if any of you in here have gardened before. Trees don't like to have their branches cut. They bleed. It's where sap comes in. That's a tree trying to heal itself. They don't like it. But they don't know that that branch that I'm cutting off is killing it. Okay? Can I get a little gardening nerd on you right now? I grew up on about 700 acres, so this is most of my life. When you prune a branch, you're pruning it because it is pulling life from the source of the tree. But that branch isn't going to bear any fruit. It literally is just pulling life. All it's doing is sucking the life resource out of that tree. So you remove it because there's branches up here that you know that are going to bear fruit. So you prune it so that all the life force in that plant will go to producing the most and the highest quality of fruit. This is the picture that Jesus was talking about. He's saying there's things in your life that are sucking life out of you. Now, it may be okay for you to have those things now because we don't just, we don't just cut it off with nothing happening. He's going to walk you through removing things out of your life. And you're going to say, well, why would Jesus allow me to have anything that would hurt me? Because he has grace and because he is only going to go as far as you're willing to let him go. 
It's not just easy for us to quit doing things all the time. That's what living in the flesh is versus living in the spirit. But he says there's things in your life that are, that are literally pulling life from you. You have these things, these branches up here that you are passionate about, these portions in your life that you feel called to, that you have fervor for, and you want to do those things, but for whatever reason, it's not working. And I'm here trying to tell you it's because you have these branches that aren't producing fruit and they're just sucking life out of you. So Jesus says, if you come to me, if you abide in me, I'll abide in you as I abide in the Father. Everything that the Father's given to me, I'll give to you. That's what Jesus said. But that only comes in a position of abiding in him. How do we live in him? By living by the Spirit. You understand? That's how these are connected. When we live by the Spirit, we are staying abiding in Jesus Christ. And as we abide in him, he will abide in us. He's the conduit between us and the Father. He's going to take all the things that he got from God and he's going to hand them to you and he's going to mold and, and, and grow and develop your life as you're willing to allow him to do it. I will, I will be 100% honest with you, okay? And maybe you experience this. Experience this yourself. Growing with the Lord sucks sometimes, okay? It's not always fun. Do you know Why? Because it rubs your flesh the wrong way. I don't want to get up 30 minutes earlier than I have to and read my Bible. Micah, that sounds bad. I don't know how else to be anything other than I am. I'm just being real with you, okay? I don't necessarily want to go, be- go to bed earlier because I want to binge watch the show, but if I don't go to bed earlier, I'm not going to get up earlier. Now, it's really easy to sit there and go, man, that sounds so easy. Okay, do it. Do it. Why, why is it that the moment you decide to go on a fast, all of a sudden everything looks good to you. Isn't it weird? Have you ever, have you ever like, you, you think, okay, think about it this way. Some, I myself sometimes get so busy when I was working more that I would forget to eat. Have you ever done this? You're just in whatever you're doing and you just work and work and work. You're like, man, I haven't literally had any food for like six hours. I probably should eat something. But if you were doing it on your purpose, one hour in, your flesh is like, hey, we're going to die. Give us food. We need it. So it's because, you're, it's because you're rubbing up against the flesh. Because the flesh is like a toddler. And it doesn't grow up. It only wants what it wants now. It's, it's that, I, if you go to my church, if you've been to my church any long, you'll, you'll know what I have to say about people's feelings, and it's that they don't matter. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not saying I don't care about you. I'm not saying that I don't want to talk about things and work with things. But in, in the grand scheme of things, your feelings can't be the thing that you make decisions off of. You want to know why? Okay. You can have hurt feelings. I can give you a piece of chocolate cake and you don't have hurt feelings anymore, okay? You can be sad, and then you can get a hug, and then you don't be sad anymore, right? You can be frustrated, and you can go out to your workshop, and you can, you know, knock, bang some wood together, you can work on your truck, you can go for a drive, and all of a sudden you feel better, okay? That's not the thing that should be leading your life, okay? Your feelings and your flesh, they're fickle. They just, they're not, they, they know what they want now, but they don't know what the repercussions are. It's very nearsighted. Jesus tells us that if we live by the Spirit and not by the flesh, we literally bypass all of judgment. We bypass all of the things that come with the wages of sin or death. We skip it completely. But he says it must be 
you living by the Spirit. A lot of people want to take advantage of the promises of God without making any changes in their lives. This is where grace has been wrong, okay? You, if you want to take advantages of what God has given you, it's going to require sacrifice on your end. Micah, what does that look like? I can't exactly tell you. Now, there's some scriptures in the Bible that will tell us what are good and what bad, and we might touch that a little bit today. But there's things in your life that the Lord wants to talk to you about. And this, in, I'll tell on myself, this is how this works sometimes. Micah, I want to talk to you about this thing. I say, okay. He says, I think you should stop that. I say, well, that's your opinion, Lord. I'm being real, okay? And, then I, and, I, and I, now he's told me that thing, and I'm responsible for what happens, right? If I don't do it right away, what happens? Nothing. Now, that command will never change. In fact, it, when I feel, uh, my spiritual father taught me this, if you feel like you can't hear the voice of the Lord or it's been a while since he's talked to you, go back to the last thing he told you to do and make sure you fulfilled it. Because a lot of the time, the answer that you're seeking for over here, you don't know it, but it's related to this thing he's trying to talk to you about over here. You don't know that the, the, the fulfillment of your dreams and the desires have to do with how much time you spend playing video games. You don't know that the fulfillment of believing for a husband or believing for a wife has to do with if you're able to get up 30 minutes earlier and read your Bible. You don't know how it's directly related. I'll give you an example of this in my own life. I wasn't planning on sharing this, but it's good. We'll share it anyways. I, uh, I didn't date growing up. I was a pretty awkward kid. I'm still fairly awkward now. I grew up on lots of land, we ran cattle, we had gardens, we had pigs, sheep, horses, ducks. If it was a farm animal, we had it. I didn't, I didn't I'm, not, I'm not cool, okay? I didn't, I don't, I'm not smooth. <laughs> I didn't really date girls. There was maybe one girl in church that we kind of like church dated. It's that thing where you like, like each other, but you never talk about it or do anything about it. It's just awkward for like a year. So that happened. Uh, but when I, uh, I graduated out of youth for like the third time, I, I, gradu- I aged out and then I went back to help and then I went back to help again. And uh, my, the pastor's wife said, you know, this is the last time for you. I said, great. And, uh, and as I was driving away from the church, I remember my heart feeling a, a spiritual change. And I said, I said to the Lord, I said, I'm not sure what's next for me. I don't feel like I'm supposed to go to college. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do, but I feel like I might be ready to, to get married someday soon. Uh, and I said, if I'm not let ready, Lord, position me, make me ready. And about a month or so later, the Lord told me, hey, because I worked at Panera Bread, I was kind of living the dream. My life involved the Panera Bread and playing video games. I had a couple roommates. It was like I'd get home. I'd work at 4 a.m. to 1 p.m. I'd get home and play Halo until my roommates got home. I was living the dream. Now, I lived off of ramen noodles and like mac and cheese, but it was great. I had no complaints, okay? And so the Lord said, instead of coming home and playing video games right away, why don't you take a shower? He said, I want you to pray in the Spirit for 10 minutes, and I, read, I want you to read a chapter of Proverbs and a chapter of Hebrews every day. Now, there in that, my decision to obey that literally altered the course of my entire life. Okay? And I'll tell you how. That seems simple enough to me because the Lord knows what I can do. So I said, okay. So I began to do this every day for months and months and months. And then December 28th of 2008, I go to a Christmas party that I didn't want to go to. My buddy dragged me there. And I met the person that is now my wife. Her name is Becky. She's not here this morning. She sends her love to you all. And Becky and I began to form a friendship 
Becky had newly come back to the Lord. She was raised a Christian, but spent a couple years as a hooligan, and she'd come back to Jesus. I would say this in front of her. It's absolutely fine. Um, and so she began, to, she, she had a hunger in her heart for the Lord, and she began to ask me questions that I didn't know that I had the answer to. But because I had spent months and months and months reading a chapter of Proverbs and a chapter of Hebrews and praying in the Spirit every day for 30, at least 30 minutes, up out of my spirit came the answer that she was looking for. And I did not know it at the time, but the Lord was using me to prepare my wife to be in a position that I could marry her. Does that make sense? That all came from the decision of choosing to not play video games. The first thing after I get out of the shower but doing the thing that God told me to do. This is why I said sometimes you don't know the answer to what you're looking for here is related to this thing over here. And that's what living by the, the Spirit is versus living by the flesh. I would have loved to just sit down. I had this like Missouri State beanbag chair that had like, that like glowed, and I'd sit down there, and I had people that I played with every... I don't know if anyone remembers Halo back in the day, but like I had a group of guys that I would get on, and we would just play video games. I won't go into that. We would just play video games, but instead of doing that... I decided, because the Lord asked me to, to read Proverbs, read Hebrews, and pray in the Spirit. And because of that, it the reason why I'm in this church today, my wife's parents started the church that we now pastor. I would have never met them. I would have never gone down that road. We would have never done the things that we needed to do if I hadn't been obedient to the Lord. So when we look at living by the flesh versus living by the Spirit, it takes a, a conscious effort to seek the Lord. Lord, what, what, do you, what would you have me do today? How would you have me do this? Sometimes it takes an open ear. God, that prayer that I prayed when I was driving church, away from church that day that I graduated youth, God didn't give me the answer to that prayer until a month later. I didn't even know they were related. Honestly, years later, after I was married, the Lord said, look at that moment in your life when I said to do this. He's like, that changed the course of your whole life because you were obedient. Which made me think, what would have happened if I didn't do it? What would have happened if I said, you know what, Lord, I really want to shoot some noobs on Halo. That sounds way more fun to me than praying in the Spirit and reading a chapter of Proverbs and a chapter of Hebrews. I probably would not have been, I might have met Becky, but I shouldn't, certainly would not have been prepared to minister to her, and we might have just ended up friends, and I could be single today. Who knows? I don't like thinking about it because I really like, I've been married for almost 15 years. We have two beautiful kids and a, and a thriving ministry. That's pretty great. All on the tail end of being obedient to what God said over here. Does that make sense? We've read one verse of my notes. <laughs> I told you we were going to take time. That's right. You got time. Y'all can come back, right? Let's go to Romans 8, verses 6, and we'll reiterate this a little bit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death and damnation, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Would you like to be in the category of those that please God? Then you can't be in the flesh. Okay, let me say that again. Would you like to be in the category of those that please God? Then you can't be in the flesh. Don't take my word. We just read it. Okay. Micah, are you saying that when I'm in the flesh, I'm unpleasing to the Lord? I'm not saying that. The scripture is. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't love you. 
He will never leave you nor forsake you. God is never going to turn his back on you. Okay? Verse 9. You, say me, say me, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him, him being God. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who Jesus, who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Okay, this is what he's saying. The body is damned because of sin. But... If you live by the Spirit, your spirit is made righteous. And just like the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and just so I add a little poignancy to that, the Holy Spirit broke into hell and raised Jesus out of it. Okay? That's how Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That same Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He's saying, if then you live by the Spirit, the one-third part of you, the flesh that is dead because of sin, will be made righteous righteous because the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead will raise your mortal bodies into righteous bodies. So the one third of you that is made perfect by your salvation will purify the rest of it. If you live by the spirit, that's how you can present yourself a living sacrifice unto God. Because if you live by the Spirit, your whole being has been purified by the Spirit. Does that make sense? That's how we can live in righteousness with Christ. If you go on, we're not going to get in there. He talks about what it means to be heirs of Christ. What it means to be heirs of the kingdom of God. But that comes on the tail end of living by the Spirit and not living by the flesh. Amen? Go to Galatians verses 5. Sorry, this morning so far is making sense. Galatians 5, we're going to start around verse 16. <sighs> you guys ready? 5 verses 16. <clears throat> but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned, as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Okay. We're going to break this down, and this is the part where I'm not sure if we're going to make it through all of this today, but you guys can come back. 
In this letter, Paul is saying, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I've spent a lot of time pondering this and seeking the Lord on this. Because oftentimes, we put ourselves in the position of being the power behind resisting temptation. Does that make sense? I'm going to resist temptation all right i'm going to resist i know that the lord told me that i should cut back on sugars there's a piece of cake over there i'm going to be strong and i'm going to resist that piece of cake right but what this verse says is that if you live by the spirit you will not gratify the desires of the flesh so what he's saying is is and we were defining what living by the spirit is Okay, being connected with Jesus in the vine, allowing him to take care of us, prune the branches off our life, abiding in him. What he's saying is if you're in me, you're not even, you're not even going to, you're, the opportunity to gratify the desires of the flesh significantly decreases. Okay, so if, if we did this last week, but let's say this podium is a line. Okay, when I'm on the right side, that represents the flesh. When I'm on the left side, that represents the spirit. Make sense? So if the line is right here, a lot of times we're standing right here and saying, I'm resisting all of this stuff so I can live over here. I'm standing against temptation. I'm resisting all these things. Now, listen, there, you, using your words to take authority is important. Like exercising the authority that God has given us is good. Using your words is good. But words only have power if they're aligned with faith. Okay? So we need to know what the word says about our situation. So what Jesus is saying, if this is the center, Jesus says... If you live here, the desires of the flesh are over there. And you won't gratify them because you're living in Him. Does that make sense? Let me ask you this. Can you secede to a temptation if you're 100% in the Spirit? I got half no's. I got some big question marks. By this scripture... The answer is no. Okay? We're, we're talking Bible this morning. If you are living in the Spirit, you will not, say will not, will not, gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay? The reason would be is because you're in Him. To be in Him is to fully surrender. At the end of this verse, he says, we crucify the flesh, right? Did you guys read that? Uh, I think that's verse, yeah, verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So this word crucify is the Greek word storoo. Probably not right, but I did the best that I could, okay? What it means is, there's two definitions. The literal meaning of crucify is what Jesus did. Okay? That's the literal meaning. But the figurative meaning is of putting, on, putting the old self to death by submitting all decisions and desires to the Lord. This utterly and decisively rejects the decision to live independently from God. That means every, the word says to call every thought into subjection, right? So that means every 
mode of operation, before we operate in that mode, we present that to the Lord. That's what crucifying the flesh is. It's saying, all right, God, here's what I want to do. Is this what you want me to do? That's what living in the Spirit is. Living by the Spirit doesn't always feel like a tingly time of worship. Okay, It doesn't always feel like overwhelming joy. It doesn't always feel like overwhelming emotion or those times of intimacy which we have by the Father. Living by the Spirit is literally saying, okay, Micah, sh- shut up. Be quiet. I have things that I want to do, but I'm not going to do them until I seek the Father. Because the definition of this is submitting all decisions. Say all. Is there anything excluded in the word all? Anything at all? No. It says submitting all decisions and desires to the Lord. This utterly and decisively rejects the decision to live independently from him. Are there people living independently from Jesus today? Are there people living independently from his spirit today? Are there Christians living independently from his spirit today? Yeah, some of us have been guilty of that. But what what I'm trying to show you here is that all of the rest, all of the joy, all of the peace, all of the power, everything, all of the promises that God has given to us are here in the spirit most of the times we're living here saying lord i want that which you've got over there that looks great i'll take that i see it in your word your word says you have grace so i'm going to live here in the flesh but i want advantages of the spirit and so grace that we think that grace kind of like sneaks us in the back door like i'm not like fully in it but like there's like a side door and if i have grace i can just like hang out over here and like maybe i can just like touch a little bit of the blessings and touch a little bit of the good stuff, but not have to have the responsibility of living a consecrated life. And what I'm saying is they're they're opposite. The word literally says they're so far apart. Living by the flesh leads to death and damnation, as into destruction of of your spirit. Living by the spirit leads to life and life with Jesus for all eternity. That's that's the difference here. Okay? Okay, we got 15 minutes. Let's see how far. Actually, we can go longer. You guys have time? Yeah. <laughs> I heard a lot of, hmm. <laughs> I don't know if that means yes or no. <laughs> they came all the way from Wyoming. I want to give you at least something to go home with. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to waste your time. You drove all this way just to see me. I know that's exactly why you came. <laughs> okay, so what I want to do is I want to begin to dissect the living by the flesh part, okay? We started doing this last week. And uh, the Lord told me to get into it a little bit more. So he actually lists here what the works of the flesh are. So if this, is, if this is speaking to your heart this morning and you're like, man, I want to do a better job of living by the Spirit and not living by the flesh. And I want to identify some ways, that because that's one way to know is you can see it working in your life. So we're going to talk about what it means to live by the flesh and things that are signs of living by the flesh, Okay. So the first thing he mentions here is sexual immorality or fornication, okay? The Greek word for this is the word pornea. It's where we get the word pornography from, or porn. It's literally the word sexual immorality. So porn is literally sexual immorality. That's what it is, fornication. Um, It literally means anything sexual outside of marriage. I can't say it any simpler than that. He said that's a work of the flesh. 
If you're participating in sexual activity and you're not married, you're participating in sexual immorality. We started off great, didn't we? Everyone feel good about that? <laughs> it's in the Word. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not calling anyone out. I'm just saying it's in the Scripture, right? Okay? The sexual one is moral impurity. How does it list that? Immorality, right. So, which is moral impurity. This is, this would be living a lustful lifestyle where you're surrounding yourself with things that make you feel good. Now, I want to be clear, I want to clarify, there's nothing, God does not care if you have nice things. He just cares if those things have you. This, this, uh, this, this is a sense of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They use the word profligate. Basically, it means I only do things that profit myself. I'm only buying things that make, it's, it's a, a compulsive. That's the word I'm looking for. It's a, it's a compulsive lifestyle. That makes sense? Okay. The next, the next one here is impurity and sensuality or sensual promiscuity. Basically, what this is, is it's, the way that the Greek defines it is violent spite, which rejects restraint and indulges in lawless insolence. Those are all really bad words to describe this. <laughs> I'll say it again. Violent spite, which rejects restraint and indulges in lawless insolence. This is also a way of living only for yourself. Right? It would make sense that that is what living by the flesh, flesh is. Idolatry. Everyone knows what idolatry is. People say, well, that's worth having any other gods before me. But the way that idolatry is defined, it's putting anything in the position that Jesus should have. I'll give you an example. Lots of mothers commit idolatry with their kids or with their spouse. Lots of husbands commit idolatry with their wives or with their kids or with their jobs. All that this means is that you're spending more time with something else other than God. God tells us how to be great husbands, how to be great wives. He commands us to do so, how to take care of our children, how to lead them in the way that they should go, how to be, how to, how to be um, faithful in business, how to be a good steward. But none of that should take place. I'll even take you one further. Lots and lots of Christians commit idolatry with their church. How did that one feel going down? Lots and lots of believers commit idolatry with their church because they no longer look to God for relationship. They look to their community. Now, we have scripture that says, don't forsake the assembly. We're supposed to come together. We're iron sharpens iron. All those are good, but it should not take place of your personal relationship with God. Remember, to live in the spirit is to be abiding in him continually as a branch that is attached to a vine. I, there are a lot of people attending church today who give their money to the church and say yes and amen at the same time, but they live like heathens when they get home because they have no personal relationship with Jesus. And there are those who just don't know that they're supposed to have a personal relationship. A lot of people commit idolatry with their, with their so-called churches. And, and I'm not coming against any ministry or organization. I'm just saying it's always a heart thing. Does that make sense? Sorcery is the next one. Sorcery is a really interesting one. 
The Greek word for sorcery is pharmakia. It's actually where we get the word pharmaceutical from. Did you know that? It actually has to do, uh, the word sorcery has to do with drug-induced witchcraft. I don't know if anyone has spent any time in the mission field. I have a good friend of mine who spent a lot of time in Africa, and a lot of times when they would talk to witch doctors, before they would do their rituals, they would drink something or they would take something, something to cause them to get high, and that would be, uh, it would enable them to be able to operate in their witchcraft. So that's what the word sorcery means. It's, it's drug-induced witchcraft. Okay? Make sense? Yeah. No one's partaking in that in here, right? No one's doing any drug-induced witchcraft. <laughs> okay. The word enmity is the word hatred. If you have, what does the Bible say? If you have, what, is the, what does Jesus say about hatred? He said if you had malice in your heart towards anyone. He, 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 he aligns it with murder. So be careful here. Because sometimes you can go, well, I don't hate them. I just don't like them a lot. If you have to try to walk your way out of hatred, you're, you're probably in hatred. You're probably living by the flesh. I'm just saying. It's, 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 it's distaste for another per- person. It's wishing ill will on someone. It's, and you might say, well, I've never wished ill will, but check this out. Someone that you've had an issue with, when you hear that they fail, if that brings you joy, that's hatred. Understand? Someone that you had, maybe, maybe someone did you wrong. Maybe they quote-unquote deserved it. But if they quote-unquote get what they deserve and you say, serves them right, that's hatred. That's you living in the flesh, which leads to what? Everyone said, damnation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> that's going over good. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was really hoping everyone would join me. We could all shout damnation together. The next one is the word strife, which literally just means being quarrelsome and being ready to quarrel. Or how about this? Quickly jumping into debates. Y'all thought that was funny until I started bringing politics into it. It means being ready at a, at a moment's nose, notice to debate someone to be cruel with someone. Now, listen, I understand as, okay, I'm going to be really careful here. As citizens of this country, we have a democracy. And part of that democracy involves debate, okay? I understand that, okay? Now, I want you to take off your American flag and your hat and all your stuff, and I want you to read scripture, okay? It literally means being quarrelsome or ready to quarrel. If you want to get involved in politics, pray and ask the Lord who you should vote for and how you should do those things because there's always ways to do it right. You understand? But if you're quick to be quarrelsome, what I mean by that, if someone posts something on Facebook about your favorite preacher and you feel like it's your job to defend that person, that's being quick to quarrelsome. If someone posts something against you know, your favorite politician, and you feel like you need to tell them the six points that they made that are wrong and how they're just part of the machine and they're just a sheeple and all they do is listen to you know, main news media and they don't know anything, that's being quick to quarrelsome. If you're at a, at a moment's notice ready to debate 
scripture, ready to debate politics, ready to debate parenting or marriage or whatever it is. You're being quarrelsome. What you have to say could even be based on scripture, but what you're, how your heart is postured in a position of trying to be right or just some people like get. I've known people in my life who've literally said, I just enjoy a good argument. That's living by the flesh. And living in the flesh leads to? Hey, we're getting there. <laughs> the second one is jealousy, which is pretty easy uh, to understand that one. But uh, the, I like the, it's the word zeo, which actually means to boil. It means a burning emotion, an inner feeling of boiling over or boiling from heat. So it's, a, it's an internal injustification. It's a looking at what someone else has and allowing that thing to burn and cause effect to you. Fits of anger, which is being quick to anger or having great anger. It literally means, this is, it says, this is a flaw of being completely absent of the Lord. So if you're very easily riled up, I mean, I'm talking the drop of a hat, you're like, rah, rah, rah. check yourself. Spend some time with Jesus. Actually, come talk to me after service, and then we'll do that, okay? The next one is rivalries, which is selfish ambition, only being out for yourself. Dissensions. This is, uh, I like this one because a lot of people do this and we don't realize it. It means, to, it means standing apart, used of divisions which wrongly separate people into pointless and groundless factions or people group. For, for instance, well, those are Baptists. Or those are Catholics. You can even apply this to race or gender. Jesus said there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no male, there's no female, there's no Gentile. Like he said, we're all equal, right? So this divisions is a fleshly use of dividing people into people groups, however you want to cut them up. It's wrong, and it's of the flesh. It's wrong. When you justify your separation from people by what they believe, who they are, and what they do, you're wrong. Now, I'm not just saying you're supposed to just go out and hang out with biker gangs, all right? I'm not saying you're supposed to just go out and hang out with Hellenists or something like that. But if you're allowing separation in your heart and you're justifying it by saying, oh, well, they, we don't believe the same thing. You know, they don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit or they don't believe in healing or, or they're Democrats or they're liberals or, you know, they, they, you know they're homeschoolers, which I, I was myself. So. <laughs> like any time that you allow, you make occasion for yourself to be divided from a group of people because of a people group, you're wrong. It's an act of the flesh. Because Jesus tells us to love. That doesn't mean we just accept people for who they are and we allow them to do what they're supposed to do. But when it comes to the general consensus, we're supposed to love people. We're supposed to be a light unto the world. We're supposed to be different. That makes sense? Envy. Uh, envy actually, you would think it means, well, isn't that the same as jealousy? Actually, no. It's ill will. It actually, it's displeasure at another's good fortune without longing to raise yourself to the level of him or her who he envies, but only to depress the envied one down to his own level. 
It's not just so much that you're jealous of what they have is that you don't want them to move further. You don't even want to be where they are. You want to drag them down to where you are. That's an act of the flesh. Drunkenness, okay? Drunkenness literally means drunkenness. <laughs> Pretty straightforward, that one. Being drunk or intoxicated in any way, okay? It's an act of the flesh. Now, people will argue, well, Micah, the Bible says you can drink wine. And I said, yeah, it says don't be drunk with wine, okay? I am not telling you that you can or cannot drink because I don't have a scripture that says that you can or cannot drink. I do have multiple scriptures that say don't be drunk, okay? So as far as this church and as far as I'm concerned, because of what the scripture says, all I can say is don't be drunk, okay? Whatever you need to do to don't be drunk, do that. Yeah. Make sense? <laughs> Anything other than that is a work of the flesh, which leads to? Damn We're getting good. Good job, class. <laughs> so weird a service. Uh, the last one is the word orgies, okay? Everyone looks down and feels really awkward about this one. I want you to understand something. The first one of these was sexual immorality. So why would orgies not be included in this? Because you have to understand the time and place. At this time, there this was letters that was written to the Gentile churches. So a lot of times there was a lot of Greek and mythology and stuff like that. And there was actual temples in this time where you would go and pay your tithes and offerings and then you would just have sex with a bunch of people. He talked about it in Corinthians because this was part of the, the word orgies literally means it's a religious act of idol worship through orgies. Yeah, it's pretty intense. Now, I know none of us in this room are participating in that, right? Everyone, if you are, we're really going to have a talk after service. <laughs> but it's the religious act of idol worship through orgies. So this is, if you go back, I don't want to go into all this, but you go back into the Corinthians, they wrote a letter to Paul and they said, well, you know, food for the body and the body for food. They were saying the food's meant to eat and it's meant to have sex, so isn't it all good because we have grace? And Paul corrected all of that. But that's what this is referring to. So if you find yourself in any of those, those are all works of the flesh. And it's important for us to look at our lives and analyze and look. The, the ones that I don't, I don't think we have to worry about a lot of these big ones, but there are some. The hatred one, the jealousy one, the anger one, the, the rivalries, the dissensions, the separating of yourself. There's a lot of this stuff we just allow a little bit of it because culturally it seems okay or we were raised a certain way. But we have to look at the scripture and say, okay, if this is the flesh, I want nothing to do with this because I want to live in life. I want to live in the spirit. So that means I have to let go and forego. If I see any one of these things mirrored in my life, I have to give that up to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, I want you to take this thing. I release this thing to you. And I choose every day to live by the flesh. Excuse me. Spirit. <laughs> you <laughs> Jeez. live by the spirit. Okay. What? You know, never y'all have made a mistake before. You got all perfect. What are you laughing at? Okay. So here comes the fun part. Fruit of the Spirit. All right, everyone say, woohoo! I got done yelling at you for that one. Okay, so the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So the word love. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. Okay, before we get into this. Previously, we just read on what the acts of the flesh are. So if you see any of those things operating in your life, ask the Lord to help you walk out of those things. Choose every day to live in the Spirit. Now, those are things you did through your decisions. What I'm about to read you is what will operate through you by living in the Spirit. There's a difference here. 
In the flesh, it's your doing. In the spirit, it's his doing. You understand? So you don't have to be the power of instigating these things out of your life. Simply by living in him, this will be the fruit of your life. Does that make sense? I just want to make sure I define that clearly. The first one of these is love. Now, it's important for us to define love. In modern vernacular, the word love has lost its luster. It's lost its power. You want me, want me to know how I can tell you? Okay. I love Ben. Okay. I love Sue. And I love pizza. Okay. Which one do I love more? You're right. It's pizza. I'm joking. So we don't use the word love correctly. Right? We, we've, we've actually, lo- the word love has lost its power from biblical times. The word love literally means source of love. Okay? So God is what? God isn't a love. He's the source of it. And it's powerful. And it, it covers and it protects and it helps and it hopes. First Corinthians 13 said, you can, you can literally understand every language in heaven and earth. But without love, you're nothing. He said you could be one of the best prophets there were. You could, give, you could say the nicest and finest things, but without love, it profits you nothing. He says the greatest of these things is love. Again, so when you live by the Spirit, the very source and power of love will live through you. It will no longer be hard for you to love those who persecute you. It won't be hard to do good to those who speak evil of you. Because a lot of times we read the scripture and like, Lord, how the heck am I supposed to do good to someone who's a jerk to me? Okay, you're thinking over here. What he's saying is if you live here, you won't even have to. It'll happen. Because it will come up and out of you. Does that make sense? You have to go from doing, don't make it happen, let it happen. Okay? So, fruit of the Spirit, the first one he mentions is love because it's the greatest thing. Because without love, it, there's nothing else matters, according to Jesus. But it's the source of all love. You want to know how powerful this love is? It's how he created the heavens and the earth. It's why he sent Jesus. He created all of this through love. The second one, so the fruit of the Spirit is love. The second one is what? Joy. Joy. The word joy means the awareness of God's grace and favor. It's awareness of God's grace and favor. You're, you have, in the, living in the Spirit, there's so much joy because you're daily spending time with Him. In that daily spending time with Him, you have an overwhelming sense of His joy and His grace and His favor, and it operates through you. We'll do a couple more of these. We're going to go through these quickly. I think we're going to start here next week, but I want to just give you a little bit of foundation for us to build upon next week. The second one is, the third one is peace, where this word peace also means the word wholeness. All essential parts are joined together in peace. It is God's gift of wholeness to you. If you've ever felt unwhole in your life, meaning not whole, if you've ever felt broken in his presence, in his spirit, you can have full peace. You can have full wholeness. 
The fourth one is patience, which means endurance, consistency, steadfastness, perseverance, and being slow to anger. This is how you can endure all things. Love believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. This is how that happens, is by living in the Spirit. Again, this isn't something you do yourself. This is something that comes up and out of you by living in the Spirit. Kindness. The word kindness means useful kindness. It refers to meeting real needs in God's way and in His timing and fashion. It's a lot different than me being kind to Grace and holding the door for her. That is kind of me. But this is a God's timing, God's plan. It's a useful kindness. The word goodness is agathosone. Agathosone. Sorry, I, don't, I just really enjoyed that, so I wanted to share that with you. The goodness that comes from God, this is, the, this is really interesting. The word goodness is literally the same. It's like the same way as the word love. It comes from God. What's interesting about this word, this word agathosone, it does not occur in any other ways in the Greek. It occurs four times in the New Testament, and every single one of those times literally means the goodness of God exuded. So this isn't a goodness like it would be good for me not to trip Ben when he's walking down the hallway. That would be good of me, right? It literally means the source of goodness. Does that make sense? It's the source of goodness. Faithfulness, uh, belief, trust, confidence, fidelity. This word faithfulness is where we get the word um, uh, it, confidence is, is built into this. It's never something that can be, be produced by people. It's not like your ability to be diligent. It's faithfulness produced in you by, li by living in the Spirit. Does that make sense? Two more. Gentleness. The word gentleness means gentle strength. It's where we get the word meek from. Jesus said, take, take my yoke upon you for I am meek. The word meek means gentle strength. It means totally foregoing of your own strength and ability and relying on the authority of the one above you. When you're living by the Spirit, you're not standing up for yourself. You're not justifying yourself. You're not doing anything. He's doing all of it because you're standing in a position of authority. What I mean by that is there's a chain of authority, right? and you're standing in the position you're supposed to carry. So there's strength that comes with that. And the last one is self-control. Proceeding out from within oneself, but not by oneself. This is how, if you live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Because if you have self-control, the God kind of self-control, it is a self-control that comes up from your inner being that gives you the ability to have self-control as opposed to being the person that's saying, I'm standing against temptation in the middle of temptation. How can you defend yourself against something where you're inside of it, right? That'd be like going to a strip club and going, I'm not going to look at any strippers. <laughs> well, don't go to the strip club. <laughs> be away from the strip club, right? I realize that's a little bit you know, risque, but whatever. I don't know how else to say that. 
That's like going to a loud rock concert and say, I don't want to listen to any rock music. Okay, how's that? Is that better? Can Everyone can relate to that one a little bit more. <laughs> what you do is you remove yourself completely from the situation, right? You can't resist something by living in the middle of it. You resist it by living in the spirit so that self-control by the spirit can come up out of your spirit. It's not something you've created on your own. It's something that comes up out of you. Does that make sense? My heart in, I feel like the Lord's heart in us talking about this is because he, he wants to bring some clear definition to some things. We are currently living in a day and age where people get to say, you know, this is, this is my body. I get to do with it what I want. And that has crept into the church. And it's wrong. It's not, now, if people are of the world and they don't, they don't, believe in Jesus Christ, you know, they, they can live whatever the way they want to. But if you're a believer, and if you sit there and say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, there's certain things that you're saying that you believe in and that you agree to. And it's important for us to know what those things are. As believers, it's not our job to go out to communities where people believe different things and tell them how they're wrong and they're going to hell. Our job is to love them because the Word says it's the goodness of Christ that leads people to repentance. But when we look a lot like the world, what are, what are we enticing people to change from and into? We, I am not speaking evil. I'm just speaking realness. How about that? There are a lot of Christians right now who I don't think are even aware of what's going to come in the next 10 years. The way that culture is currently being molded, what's being taught to kids in schools, what's being taught in universities, these are people that will, in 10, 15, 20 years, become legislators, become presidents, become governors. And, and the freedoms that we've so much enjoyed will become more and more at risk. I'm not speaking evil. I'm just telling you how the world is. How that's changed is by us having a clear definition of what the gospel says we're supposed to be because that's where true power comes in, is living by the Spirit. That's where prayer comes in. But we need to know what it is that we're saying we're a part of. It's not okay to just know about God. We must know Him. The Word says that at the end of times, people will bring teachers upon themselves that will itch their ears that will tell people what they want to hear. The message that I preached this morning, a lot of people don't want to hear that. They don't. But as believers, we have a responsibility to act, behave, and to walk the way the Scripture has told us to. Has anyone ever worked for a company or a corporation before? Had any jobs? And when you walked into the job site or when you went to your interview, they said, okay, here is... Here's how we do these things. Here's our, here's our procedures. Here's our handbook, right? This is, this is how we do these. This is, this is our SOP for the situation. And you read it all, and you go, okay. And then you show up to work without your uniform on after reading that that's what you're supposed to do. And then they're like, well, you're going to get in trouble. You're like, why? Like, well, because it's in the rule book. You're like, well, you know, it, it should just be okay that I express myself this way. No. The, the rule book said what we're supposed to do. Well, what, what if I know how to do it better? What if I can get the job done, but I can do it a different way? No, that's not how it works. 
And most people in here, if you're good employees, would go, no, that's, that's the employee handbook. You, when you sign the, the paper saying, I want to work here, you're agreeing to the employment standards. You're agreeing to the operation standards, right? So why do we not do that with the Bible? Now, you might say, well, when I became a believer, I didn't know everything the Word has to say. I'm so glad you brought that up. That's where grace comes in. But that doesn't mean that you're not responsible for seeking what the Lord says you can have and seeing what the Lord says you shouldn't mess with. That's what I'm talking about this morning. He says that we are supposed to live by the Spirit and not by the flesh because they are the most opposite that any two things could be. And He wants to help us walk into living by the Spirit. And I'll, and I'll take it one further. Most of the answers that you're looking for in your life come by living in the Spirit. Simply by. A lot of times we spend so much energy seeking after God for answers when we get in trouble, when we're hurt, when we're at our wit's end. And that's good. That's definitely where you should turn. But what I'm saying is, is if you live a life in the Spirit, that all becomes a little easier. Because every day you get to operate in the mode and, and, and the way that God has called you to operate in. There's less confusion. There's less trying to figure stuff out. There, there's still some of that, but it becomes easy because you can rest in the unknowing, knowing that He's got it worked out. Does that make sense? You don't always get the answer when you're living in the Spirit, but you have that joy that comes from the Lord because you're in Him. You have that love. And even when you don't see how everything is exactly going to fall in place, you have confidence because you're resting in Him. Confidence is shattered when you walk over here because you're suddenly aware with what you did wrong. You're suddenly aware of your inability to do be a certain thing. You're suddenly aware of all this stuff. But when you live in Him, it's just way easier. It's way smoother. Even though the world gets rocky, even though we're not sure about different decisions or what to do, the unknowing becomes easier because we have peace that surpasses all human understanding. But that's not in the flesh, that's in the spirit. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tanny Love Church podcast. For more information about us, visit us online at www.tannylovechurch.com. And you can also check us out on social media, on Instagram and Facebook.